Hello and welcome back to Not Just Paleo. I'm your host, Evan Brand. We had the baby on Tuesday. I just want to say thank you all for the emails and the love and support on my social media, Facebook and Instagram and all those places. It's really nice of you all to be there thinking about us. We came home yesterday, the day before. It's just, it's been an amazing, incredible experience. So we're going to get right into the show today with Dr. Kurt Wooler, who is an autism specialist, but also focuses a lot on lab testing and the whole functional medicine model that I use myself. So you're really, really, really going to love this show. In the meantime, you can schedule that free consult with myself back at the website, notjustpaleo.com. Here's the show. Enjoy. Dr. Kurt Wooler, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate being here. Yes, sir. Well, you and I got in contact with each other through BioHealth because you are a clinical advisor there and you help to talk with me about some of the labs that come in with all sorts of crazy bacteria, some that we, the average person has no clue that they even exist. Maybe we should start there. How did you get involved with becoming a clinical advisor? How did you get involved looking at labs and, and running these on patients for yourself? started many years ago. I actually started when I was in practice in San Diego, California, uh, back in the mid nineties, I had gone to a, a local conference it was, it was a functional medicine conference on adrenal testing. And at that time I'd only been in practice for a few years and was listening to a presenter by the name of Dr. Bill Timmons. D- Dr. Bill Timmons was working for another lab at the time and he was going through his, his, uh, information. And I was very intrigued. And soon after that, um, I guess it was through a mailer, they had contacted our practice that Dr. Timmons had started his own lab called BioHealth Laboratory or BioHealth Diagnostics at the time. And so I started attending the weekend seminars along with my partner, Dr. Trancatella, and we together along with a number of other docs at that time started really learning the foundations of functional medicine from Dr. Timmons who was a real pioneer in the field and it was right up it was really right up my alley as far as what I was interested in it was holistic medicine looking at things from an integrative standpoint and his whole approach which became my approach was looking at the gut looking at the adrenals looking at hormone looking at chronic stressors of how these things applied for chronic illness and so that really began my, my whole approach or change in my practice to integrative or functional medicine. And I got pretty good at it. And as time went on, you know, BioHealth started looking for doctors to help interpret lab testing for other doctors. And so that's uh, how I became a lab advisor for them. And I've done a number of lecturing and conferences for them over the years. Did a lot of conferences with Dr. Timmons back in the day. And then, of course, I have my own, you know, uh, my own seminars and things that I do now as, as time has gone on. But, yeah, it really started probably, probably a good 15, 16 years ago is when things began from a lab advisor standpoint. That's awesome. Now, did you have health symptoms, health issues yourself? Are you a wounded warrior like most of us? <clears throat> yeah, you know, not too much. What was interesting, though, was... Back at that time, one of the things Dr. Timmons had mentioned was that, look, if you want to do this kind of work, you really should do testing on yourself. Now, like a lot of docs coming out of medical school, I mean, I was, you know, I knew my adrenals were probably stressed and 
I had some fatigue, but I, I wasn't too symptomatic. I had a few GI issues, but nothing horrible. So we did testing on ourselves, and Dr. Timmons' whole approach at that time was is that you can't just rely on symptoms to indicate whether there's a problem or not, because there are a lot of chronic hidden factors in the body that may be brewing before you ever have symptoms. So I did some testing. I did a stool test. I did an adrenal test, and I did an uh, immune system test, interestingly enough. Turned out my adrenals were not terrible, you know, particularly having come through medical school, but I had two parasitic infections and I had very poor gut immunity, probably because of the chronic parasites and probably because of some chronic stress. It turned out to be gluten intolerant too, which I didn't know. And I figured that I probably picked up these parasitic infections that had been chronic in my body years past when I had gone to Mexico um, and got sick, but it was never treated. And then for the most part, I thought things went away. So as I found out that my lack of symptoms wasn't necessarily an indication of true health. So I started working on that, treated those, retested, got rid of it. And then, you know, sort of that woke me up to the fact that if I'm going to do this kind of work, I need to have patients understand that just because they don't have a symptom of something doesn't necessarily mean that there may not be something going on. So that's kind of what led me into that. Right. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't you say you had the same two parasites I showed up with, crypto and giardia? Yep. Wow. Yeah. That's a trip. Okay. Now, did you have symptoms back then or, or not? Well, when I got sick, I had gone to Mexico right when I was right out of high school, 18, 19 years old. And I got, you know, the classic Montezuma's Revenge. Um, I, you know, as I look back on it, you know, I had some bloating and gas. And, but, you know, I figured that was, you know, who didn't have that? I didn't, but I didn't have, you know, I didn't have the loose bowel issues, you know, not as the time went on. I didn't have the fatigue. I didn't have the food sensitivities. Problem that you often see in people who have chronic parasites. I just, I just harbored these things. And I think what it was for me was my adrenals were were fairly strong despite the level of stress and lack of sleep, et cetera, that you go through as a doctor. And I think in part that's probably what kept me somewhat symptom-free is that I was able to compensate for some of these things. And that's also led me to understand as, as time has gone on in clinical practice is that you know, everybody has their own constitution, so to speak. Their own hereditary factors, genetic factors, and some people are able to compensate for things better than others. Um, I've always exercised. I've always tried to eat well. I've always tried to take care of myself, and I think that has also helped me, or at least, you know, certainly back then, to maybe be less symptomatic than others. So, but for some reason, I didn't have these major problems that you would expect to occur if you know, you had a couple of parasitic infections. Uh, and I've seen people over the years where that's been the case. They, they're harboring something, but they're not necessarily deathly ill. And then you'll have somebody else who might have the two same parasites and they're incredibly sick. So that's why testing is so important is that you can't just assume everything is fine. 
the te- and what we do as functional medicine and integrative medicine practitioners is not only being good clinical um, you know, individuals and being able to take a good clinical intake and base our assessments of individuals based on our clinical experience, but the testing is what helps bring certain things into view because how do you know if you have a parasite unless you test for it? Absolutely. Well, let's talk about adrenals a little bit because you're looking at a lot of lab results. And now maybe it's hard to say which which is the case. Is it that everyone has adrenal issues or maybe it's just that the people that we're looking at, they wait until they're so symptomatic that then we run the labs and they show up with adrenal issues. How often are you seeing people with stage three adrenal fatigue? Very, quite often. Probably a good 80%, maybe 75% of the time. Um, I think you're, I think what you just stated is true, is that most people aren't either going to the doctor or running lab tests until they're symptomatic. So if, you, if you're sort of a person like, hey, I feel pretty good, I don't really have any issues, well, you know, who wants to go spend time in the doc's office and, and, and do that when there's probably other things you'd rather do during your day? So... I think these statistics are skewed because of we're we're seeing people who are already symptomatic. But as far as the different staging, stage three is very high. Now, one thing to understand about the staging for people who are listening is the staging can, there's a broad spectrum of whatever stage you're in. I mean, there, you can end up in what's called a stage three adrenal pattern, which essentially means all of your cortisol levels are low. Your DHE levels are low but you could exist in that stage for years and never really move beyond that stage. And some people assume that you're going to end up in stage four, which is complete adrenal failure, but that's not the case. So you can be the, you know, the walking wounded or individual who just exists like that for years and years and think that it's kind of normal, but you know, significant adrenal fatigue is very common. And matter of fact, it's probably one of the more common scenarios, I would say, in any practitioner who's dealing with people on an integrative health standpoint. And it's something that people should be assessed for because it has so many impacts on other things going on with our health. And we can talk about some of those if you want. Yeah. Of of how the how the adrenals you know impact so many other things. Let's break that down because I know the brain's affected. I did a talk on cortisol in the brain and looking at the hippocampus, and you know everyone jokes about losing their memory, and it's not really funny. That's not a good sign. So maybe we could talk about the brain and maybe how cortisol is damaging <laughs> people's guts and making them more susceptible to picking up gut bugs and things like that. Yeah, one of the things that, you know, in a lot of the lecturing that I do and the writing and whatnot, even consulting with doctors through the lab advisor service that BioHealth has, is to understand that the adrenals have their, their, their hands and everything going on in the body. I mean, cortisol's primary role is to help properly metabolize glucose. I mean, it's called a glucocorticoid. It's a glucose-type you know, metabolic steroid. But it has a tremendous impact in doing so at the cellular level in all the different organ systems. So as you mentioned in the brain, you know, it's going to have a regulatory, uh, regulatory effect over brain and nervous system function. It's going to have an influence over the immune system. In fact, 
when the adrenals are stressed and there is a excess output of cortisol over time, that can start to turn off or turn down the body's production of certain immune chemicals, things called antibodies. And these antibodies are essentially our first line immune defense against invading pathogens and things that want to gain access to our body. And that primarily begins in the gut. So we, we produce a, a chemical called secretory IgA in the digestive system, which makes up the bulk of our, of our mucosal barrier, our first line immune defense. So as that becomes depleted, we become more susceptible to pathogens, whether it's candida, bacteria, parasites, and, you know, the adverse things that can occur with that. The other interesting thing about the adrenals is <clears throat> the adrenals have an impact on thyroid function. So you can have somebody come in who has fatigue and they feel cold and they're not sleeping well and dry skin and dry hair and they're, you know, the doctor will run a test and show that their thyroid number is a little bit low and put them on thyroid hormone and they'll feel great for a period of time. But all of a sudden, sometime later, they're not feeling so great again. And they go back and they check their values and the doctor will up their thyroid and they feel better for a while, but then it doesn't hold. And <clears throat> what they don't understand, sometimes the docs don't understand it and the patient doesn't understand it is that it's not necessarily the thyroid, it's the adrenals have been stressed. And what the adrenals will do is the adrenals will slow down thyroid function to conserve energy. Because the adrenals, as I've described to patients, the adrenals have their hands in everything. They're trying to make everybody happy. They're trying to make the immune system happy, your brain happy, your gut happy, your cardiovascular system happy. Whereas your thyroid is it's a catabolic hormone. It's about, you know, burning energy. And that's why people oftentimes feel pretty good when they're put on thyroid because it boosts their energy. But if you're not addressing the underlying function of adrenals, um, sometimes getting put on thyroid for a low thyroid function can make, you can stress the adrenals uh, even more because the thyroid is being turned down or turned off because the thyroid is, 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 excuse me, the adrenals are actually causing that to happen. Does that make sense? I don't know if that makes any no, sense. Hopefully made, that makes sense. It, it made perfect sense. And so basically yeah. the analogy that I've used, and tell me if there's a better one, is you know, you're taking someone where their gas pedal is already floored. You're in a Ford Pinto with 300,000 miles and you're trying to merge onto the highway and you got the gas pedal floored. You're not getting anywhere. So then you come in with something like Synthroid. You jam the gas pedal further. You're going to blow a gasket at some level. Is that is that the best analogy of, of trying to throttle but that I, thyroid? I, I think that's a great analogy. It's it's sort of like whipping a, a tired horse. You know, it can it can't it really can't go anymore. Um, that's a really good analogy. It's it's just that, you know, you may get an initial boost of energy for for a period of time, but you know, the Ford Pinto can't keep up. Um, so I, I like that. That's a great analogy. When in time, how long is this going to take, do you think, for this education to turn around? Because if you go ask anyone on the street, maybe about their weight or their energy issues, they know about the thyroid, but most people don't even know that the adrenal glands 
exist. And so when you're trying to spread information to someone, you almost have to market that as thyroid information. But in reality, it's adrenal information and education. You know, I'm not sure. I think the problem we have is that the conventional medical system is just not set up to recognize these patterns. They can talk a good game on certain aspects about, you know, health and diet, but when you start reading about adrenal issues, there's a lot of individuals in the conventional medical world that don't recognize adrenal exhaustion or adrenal fatigue. It gets negative press because many docs live in the world of a black and white scenario. You know, you either have true low thyroid function or you don't. You either have heart disease or you don't. You know, your, your cholesterol is either high or it's fine. Um, and the same thing goes with adrenals. They don't understand the spectrum, the, this, this path that people can be on that aware an organ system or something is starting to slow down and fail. Most endocrinologists live in the world of adrenal insufficiency. And the, the definition of adrenal insufficiency is defined as Addison's disease. Primary adrenal insufficiency is Addison's. Addison's is a complete failure or a shutdown of adrenal function, a lack of output of you know, cortisol. <clears throat> they don't recognize adrenal fatigue in the different stages that might lead up to it. So you're kind of battling or we're battling this whole system that is entrenched. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it'll ever change. Yeah. And most people are getting their information, you know, through regular television or media sources too. And so, you know, the minute you can see a, a program on the news where they talk about something like this, you know, they'll get slammed by, you know, the Med American Medical Association or, you know, some other organization steps up and say that's that's complete nonsense. So I think the thing is, is for you and for me and other docs is we just have to keep talking about it and keep talking about these things as truths, things that we have seen in clinical practice for years. Um and, you know, I think today people have access to an unbelievable amount of information that they didn't have 10, 15 years ago. That's true. Yeah, they're probably, I mean, I don't even think podcasting was around 15 years ago. I think maybe 2006 or so is when it was really first getting rolling here. So it seems like we don't really have to worry about that conventional model changing their tone. It's just this whole grassroots functional medicine approach is just going to continue to grow so large that it becomes maybe the new norm or maybe it becomes as, as common as, as naturopathic medicine. Because I've seen even naturopaths, for example, they don't even talk about some of these issues. They just go closer to that symptom supplement model as opposed to really looking for the root cause. Do you find that as well? I do find that. I think part of that is is that there's within certain communities of practitioners that are trying to legitimize themselves or that feeling like somehow they have to be um, as legitimate as, you know, an allopathic doctor or, you know, somebody else. And 
there's there that happens at the state level. It happens at the school level where some of these school programs are. They're constantly battling the public perception or the quote unquote medicals perception of them. And so they're trying to legitimize themselves, you know, by as a profession by doing that. And in doing so, unfortunately, I think they lose some of the roots. Right. You know, it uh, and that's I guess you just kind of chalk it up to the fact that that's kind of the nature of it. You know, human nature in some some regards, I guess. But, you know, there's individual practitioners that don't care. But from an organizational standpoint, you know, everybody's trying to jockey. You know, they're, they're all jockeying for position. Right. That makes perfect sense. Let's let's transition. Let's talk about organic acid testing a little bit. This has been so profound and so amazing for me because so many people are showing up with these gut symptoms, and then we'll run, say, a 401H. You know, we'll run a stool test on them, and they show up completely clear. And so, let's say maybe six months or a year ago, you know, I was sort of like, okay, let's just start with the stool test and see where we're at. And then people were getting a clean result, but they still had symptoms. So then we had to come back and say, okay, now let's wait another few weeks to get this organic acids result. So now what I'm trying to do is run all of these up front just to get the full picture and just stop wasting time because sometimes there isn't time to waste. Could you talk about organic acids, maybe give people a little introduction to it or or how you came across it and integrated it into your life? I love organic acids testing. I first was introduced to it. This was in San Diego back in 1998. I was working at an integrative practice doing some nutritional work. My early days of lab testing didn't know a whole lot. Got a, uh, went to a conference on autism, heard some practitioners talking about dietary issues, fatty acid problems, immune problems, et cetera. Heard a lecture by Dr. William Shaw, who was an expert in organic acid testing. It's totally blown away because it was very complex test, a lot of information. Make a long story short, a couple weeks later, saw saw some kids in my practice and I didn't know what to do with these autistic kids. So I, but I do, I did know about this test. So I ran this test, came back. They had some yeast markers that were elevated, got a consult, went through the labs and started treating for yeast. Well, as time has gone on, um, I've found out that this organic acids test is incredibly profound. The, The lab has added many more markers to it. And I've become a real specialist in knowing how to use it. The, the, the gist of it is this. The organic, organic acids are these organic compounds that we have in our body. And many of them are natural byproducts of our own metabolism. But when they're elevated, they can indicate a certain problem metabolically. So, for example, you can have certain organic acids that are elevated that might indicate a mitochondria or a cellular metabolism problem that might cause fatigue, for example, or there might be an elevation of a chemical that could indicate some kind of neurochemical problem in the brain, whether it's serotonin, dopamine, etc. But also there are organic acids that get produced because of the presence of infections. So candida produces a wide variety of these organic acids that can be measured through the urine that indicate the presence of it being there. And then there are different bacteria that can produce compounds too. 
one of the things that, that I realized a long time ago is that stool testing is excellent for picking up on parasitic infections and certain bacterial infections. But it doesn't tell the whole story when it comes to other types of bacteria and sometimes the presence of candida. It's not uncommon, as you probably have learned, Evan, is that on a stool test, it's actually kind of rare to see yeast show up positive. But it's very common in organic acids testing to be able to detect the presence of the, can of the yeast being there through what's being excreted in the urine. And the reason is not that there's a problem with the lab. It's the complexity of the yeast organism itself. It doesn't actively shed in the stool, which is what makes it visible, visibly uh, possible to see. It's hard to look at through a microscope. It doesn't always grow out in a culture dish. But the invasiveness of candida will allow various organic acid test markers to be positive that you can detect in other ways off that urine test. There are certain bacteria like Clostridia. So you've probably come across people who have Clostridia difficile, and that's big in the news, right? There's a lot of, a lot of discussion about this problem of Clostridia difficile bacteria. And Clostridia difficile can cause a lot of problems for people. Matter of fact, there are many people that die every year because of serious Clostridia infections that they pick up either post-antibiotics or in the hospital. Now, some of the stool testing will allow you to detect certain toxins that Clostridia produce. But what people don't realize is that there are other strains of Clostridia difficile and other species of Clostridia that produce other toxins that can't be analyzed through the stool test. There's two specific ones on the organic acid tests that I run. Um, and both of these toxins, one is called HPHPA, and there's another one called 4-creosol. And what these two toxins do is they inhibit a specific enzyme that allows us to convert dopamine into norepinephrine. And why that's important is we need an adequate supply of norepinephrine in the brain to stimulate memory, attention, focusing another brain function. And when this enzyme is inhibited, it causes dopamine levels to rise. Now, in many people, we can compensate for it. But in certain people, like autistic individuals, certain people with mental health disorders, the excess dopamine and other neurological problems too, the excess dopamine becomes neurotoxic. And excess dopamine will actually cause a tremendous amount of oxidative stress in the brain. And in some people who are susceptible to it, it can contribute to a lot of behavioral problems. One of the things we've seen with the autistic kids when dopamine levels are high is they can become aggressive and self-injurious. There have been cases of people who have developed acute schizophrenia because of massive you know, elevations of dopamine secondary to clostridia. And then there's a whole other level of this you can talk about, these clostridia toxins generating inflammation that could affect arthritis, uh, that could affect gut function, affect even just low-level depression or mood issues or sleep problems as well. So it's a fabulous test. It is 
an incredible tool for practitioners to use and learn how to use because it's a, 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 an absolute complement to stool testing. And matter of fact, one of the courses that I teach, the GI mastery course for practitioners, is learning how to incorporate stool testing along with organic acid testing and really why you need to do both. So we can certainly talk about other things regarding the organic acids test, but I'm, I'm with you. It's a, it's a great test to have done. That's awesome. Now, here's something interesting, and I want to get your feedback on this. I've been finding a lot of Clostridia markers. However, you know, the, the four Cresol measure will still be low. So I'm guessing that you know, these people, they may just have these other strains of Clostridia but those sound like, generally, those are not going to be as problematic as C. diff. Is that true? There's over 100, or I should say, there, there, there can be over 100 species of Clostridia that inhabit the GI system. That doesn't mean that every person has 100 of them, but there are 100 known. Okay? Most are called what are considered to be commensal, meaning that there can be a normal inhabitant of the GI tract and not cause problems. But then there are certain species or certain members of that Clostridia family that are a real problem. So um, Clostridia difficile, it turns out, there are different strains of C. diff. The ones that, the toxins that produce the obvious GI problems are toxin A and toxin B. And those are the toxins that Clostridia difficile produces that can lead to Clostridia difficile-associated diarrhea, or in extreme cases, something called pseudomembranous colitis, which is a massive inflammatory disorder in the gut brought on by those toxins. But not every C. diff strain produces those toxins. So you could have a C. diff strain that produces the 4-creosol, um, there is, there's another toxin that Clostridia difficile can produce called 4-hydroxyphenylacetic acid. And that particular, that particular marker, in a, and this was the wonderful, incredible thing about medical research, there was an article that came out in the late 70s looking at that marker as an indicator of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So... It, it doesn't define it in 100% of the cases, but it's certainly an indicator that that might be occurring. By the way, one of the, one of the other interesting things about the Clostridia markers is the marker on the organic acids test called HPHPA. One of the Clostridia that produce that or can produce it is Clostridia botulinum. So think about that, right? If you see that marker elevated, you may be looking at an individual who has a low-level Clostridia botulinum infection in the gut. Um, because not everybody who gets Clostridia botulinum dies. I mean, that's, you hear that in the news. Yep. Oh, there was a botulinum exposure, so the person died. Well, not everybody. You could get just low-level food poisoning and survive it, but then you harbor the bacteria because... There's trillions of bacteria in the intestinal system. I mean, everything is jockeying for position and competing with each other. So it's possible to keep these things at a low level that doesn't kill you, 
it just sort of slowly leads to symptoms over time. Ah. So there's a lot in that test that can be applied to so many other different types of, of health conditions. And to just do the stool test, you end up missing or can miss, I should say. Uh, a lot of other factors that may be affecting people's health. It's amazing. It's, well, it's just amazing. You did a great job of breaking that down, and really, it's just amazing to me that there's different strains of even these pathogenic bacteria. I mean, you hear about C. diff, and it's a horror story in the hospitals, and you get convinced it's just one little bug that you're looking out for, but in reality, it's basically a family of multiple forms, and some are going to cause symptoms, and some people may show up with C. diff, and they they may not present with the diarrhea is that right that's right that's right absolutely wow um i i've had i've seen cases come back where you know somebody showed up with c difficile toxin a or b and they didn't really have diarrhea you know they so it wasn't it, the, the the presence of those toxins those toxin a and b toxins from clostridia doesn't automatically correlate to severe symptoms that's why, and we've talked about this before, um, and, and this is one of the things I talk with practitioners about, is you have to apply the test to the individual. The numbers are important, but the numbers are just numbers on a lab test. You've got to apply the information to the clinical presentation of the person. And a lot of practitioners, they don't, they don't get that. They're they're trying to treat off the lab test and not really understand how that lab test applies to the individual. The classic case, if we go back to the adrenals, is just that. They look at the lab and they go, oh, this person is in stage two or stage three, or they're in a transition phase, for example. So they'll come on and they'll say, well, what's the protocol for that? And I say, well, tell me about your patient. You know, what are they like? What are their symptoms? What, what's going on with them? Because I could come up with a protocol. It's not a cookie cutter. It's, it's not, you know, pick from the menu. Um, I want to know what the person is like. Because I could come up with a protocol that would look good on paper, but the person you're telling me about may not do well with it because the, the values or the, the amount of things that would be started might be too high for them. You might have somebody who's real sensitive to supplements or they might have an intolerance to a specific ingredient. So the, one of the things I've tried to get across and my, my partner and I in the courses that we teach, Evan, with the adrenal mastery course and the GI mastery course, just that it's, you've got to learn how to be, uh, and, and I think it's important for, for patients and clients as well, is understand your own unique individuality, your own sensitivity to things, um, and how the lab testing that you have in front of you either applies to you or how it applies clinically to that patient or client. That makes perfect sense. Well, I'm glad that you bring that point up because I think a lot of people believe that the lab is going to directly correlate to the program, but it's our job to actually listen to people too. And I think some people, they want to jump to the conclusion so quick. They just want to give me the program to make people better. 
And you're saying it doesn't necessarily work that way. We actually still have to listen. We have to talk with people. I mean, I'm, I'm working with a lot of moms, and I have to factor in when are they going to be able to take their supplements if they're taking their kids to school or they're doing these classes on every Wednesday. They're going to soccer. you know. So it's like we have to actually treat people as people and not robots. That's a great – I love that, and, and that's so true. Yeah, I think it, it's, it's real nice to be able to, you know – pick up a piece of paper and say, oh, you know, here's protocol A that fits to this lab test. And, you know, in some cases it, it might work fine, but are you, what are you doing? Are you, are you, a, are you really a practitioner or are you just a cookie cutter? You know, I mean, it's nice to have protocols, but protocols are really just suggestions. There's just an outline for how to start and maybe what to start and what dosages maybe to begin. But in my experience, you know, to become an accomplished practitioner and to become a skilled practitioner, you really need to take it to the next step. And that is, is learn how to decipher what people are saying, what people are, what's going on in their their daily life to best create a program for them. And what you just said about the mom, you know, who's dealing with their kids at school and getting dinner and all that other stuff. Um, I find that happens quite a bit with a lot of the autistic kids that I work with. So people say, well, when is the best time to take some of these supplements? And I said, well, there's an ideal way. And then there's the reality, you know, an ideal way might be taking these things three or four times a day. But then there's the reality of life, you know, and that is, is some of the kids are in school and there were some of the kids have after school activities or some are in therapy sessions or, well, you can't always do something that's ideal. So you have to just sort of modify um, and work around that. And that's where it comes into play, talking to somebody, what is their daily routine like, et cetera. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I've heard this quote. I can't remember who said it. You may know. It's a a philosopher probably from hundreds of years ago. But the quote went something like, if you listen long enough, the patient will tell you what's wrong with them. Or if you listen long enough, the patient will tell you what they need. Something along those lines. Do you know what I'm talking about? That quote? I, I have heard that. I don't, I don't, I've heard that. I don't remember who that's from but i do i do remember hearing that yeah but it makes sense i mean and that's what i try to do interviewing you here is just let you go into your flow state and you're going to bring out the golden nuggets and i find that's the same thing for working with people as well that if you're actually listening and you're just letting them talk and talk sometimes you have to clarify or reel them in a little bit but a lot of times you will hear the answer and it comes down to something huge that sometimes we may miss on an intake form like marital stress you know that could be every day as soon as i pull in the driveway i feel my heart start beating faster it's like oh okay we're gonna have to spend some time working here then and talking about this because if it's just we're looking at everything under this microscope you're saying basically you can have the 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 best lab testing in the world but if you're not actually zooming out and seeing oh wait there's a human attached to that it sounds like the results are just going to be pretty limited Right. And, you know, one of the things that I've, I've seen to mention before, sometimes the lab tests don't always correlate with how somebody feels. And 
I've seen that quite a bit with adrenal testing. You know, you somebody will, a practitioner will do a test and the person will actually have, there's two scenarios, the person will actually have a, on paper a stage three adrenal pattern, but then the person, the, the patient or client, you know, they have a few little symptoms. They came in, you know, because they want to do some wellness checkup, but they don't feel terrible. But you look at the lab and you think, oh, my God, this has got to be a person that can't get out of bed. Yeah. And then on the reverse side is you'll have somebody that is chronically fatigued, headaches, you know, body aches, et cetera, et cetera. You look at their adrenal test and you go, well, this doesn't look that bad. So most of the time, the labs tend to strongly correlate with how somebody feels, but not always. And so th that goes into the, the fact that there are other factors going on. There, there may be other metabolic factors that are causing somebody's fatigue other than their adrenals. Maybe it's the thyroid. Maybe it's mitochondrial function. They're, maybe they're anemic. There's, a, there's other things to consider. And then on the other, the other aspect is somebody who has a stage three adrenal pattern on their test, but, you know, that might be a person who just is a real positive person. They, they take an approach to life that is more joyous. I, I, I had a dear friend many years ago is my friend of my father's, but uh, really, really super, super guy, the most positive person you could ever want to be. I think I was amazing. Well, he, he died of pulmonary fibrosis, um, which is a, you know, catastrophic lung, lung disease, but he was up until, you know, a couple of weeks before his death was still joyous, was still happy, was still positive. And that was just him. So, you know, not everybody's going to be that level, but that kind of goes back to what you were saying about this quote regarding if you let the person, you know, express themselves or you listen to what's going on between the lines or allow somebody to talk, they'll often reveal about what they need or what's going on with them. And there's a lot to be said for just talking and listening, you know, but letting people talk and listening to what they have to say. Yeah, absolutely. Let's boil all this down. This has been great. I really enjoyed this. The attitudes is, is something I wish I could have for everyone. The guy you described, that's my grandpa. I mean, I'm so I'm so grateful that I have him with me to be able to to use that mindset. I mean, gratitude and just a positive outlook, it, it's so powerful. And actually, I did see exactly what you mentioned last week is I'm uh, a woman mainly had fatigue issues. The adrenals came back perfectly fine, but then we got the organics, and every single mitochondrial marker was just off the charts. And oh. so it, it, it was like the light bulb went off. I was so happy to actually see that, and I thought, man, if I just would have been just picking and choosing, let's just get the adrenal picture, we would have had no answers. Right. That's a great, that's a great example. That's awesome. That's, that's, yeah. that's fantastic. So let's boil this down. I mean, what, what are some of the, the action steps here, some of the takeaways? Obviously, someone, if they have not got tested, then they should stop guessing and get some testing run. But in terms of, like, overall wisdom that you've acquired from all of the years doing this, what does this all boil down to? I mean, is this just, 
you know, shutting down the computer and going for a walk in the middle of the day? Is this, you know, saying no to email during the weekends? Like, what does all this stuff boil down to, to really try to backtrack what the modern world is doing to us on these various body systems? Well, yeah. That's you a know, whole other I mean, podcast. I know I just opened yeah, Pandora's yeah, box me, there. Why don't you have me back? Um, you know, I, I, I thought about that a lot. And I, I wonder how much our modern society is impacting upon our health. I mean, I, it certainly is, but it's not as though generations in the past haven't dealt with their own stressors and, right. and problems. I mean, you think about people who lived through the great depression or, you know, our grandparents, you know, who survived, you know, world war two. And you talk about stress, um, so I think we, we just have a different type, but it's, I don't know if it's more stressful today than it was years past. There's certainly a lot more conveniences today. I, I think part of it is, is people's attitude. Um, one of the problems I think certainly going on today is, is that people are not getting out, being active, interacting, you know, on a social level, um, like you know, maybe people in the past, I certainly would say from a societal standpoint, that has certainly changed the email, the computer, et cetera. And I, and I fall victim to it. I mean, I do a lot of work over the internet and computer and there's times it's like, I just got to get off this thing. Um, the nature of my practice and my business, you know, I can't be away from it for too long. So it is being able to take and schedule breaks and, and, and being cog, uh, cognizant of it. I think that's probably the biggest thing is people just becoming aware of it and, and making a shift or scheduling. I've always been very big into scheduling and, and as much as possible. Um, looking at the day before, what do I have to accomplish? Scheduling it out and then, you know, trying to, whether it's exercise, whether it's getting outside, whether it's a social event, whether it's emails work. So I think maybe to sum it up, Evan, would be, yeah, I think that the the open-ended access that we have to social media, to the internet, to the computers is a problem. Years past, people could leave their office, go home, and that was it. So what I do in my household as best as possible is a certain time of the day I turn my computer off. The emails will be there in the morning. Um, Facebook will be there in the morning, and but it's time to turn it off and and, and do something else. The uh, the handheld devices we all have with our phones now it's 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 very easy to just constantly tap into things. So uh, getting outside's huge. I don't know. By the way, I talked to a lot of parents about this, but there are a couple fantastic books that I would highly recommend parents read, not only for their kids but then also for themselves. There's an author by the name of Richard Louvre. I believe that's his, how his last name is pronounced, L-O-U-V. The first book I read by him was a book called Last Child in the Woods. And it was essentially, a, it's a, a book about, as he described, saving our children from nature deficit disorder. And the fact that, and this is certainly something I think that is definitely true today that it wasn't in years past, even when I was a kid growing up is the access to the outdoors. So many things today are regulated and scheduled for our kids. They just don't have access to many of the things 
that we used to do. I mean, we, we would go, I grew up in San Diego. We, we had canyons and, and, you know, hillsides and stuff that we'd go off and explore for hours. And those types of things in most cities anymore just don't, kids don't have access to it. So Last Child in the Woods is great. The other one book he wrote is called The Nature Principle. And this was, a, it's called Reconnecting with Life in a Virtual Age. And this is great for adults to just, it's like disconnect and get outdoors. You know, whether it's gardening, whether it's going for a walk, whether it's going to the beach, whether it's going to ride, huge impacts on people's stress levels. Amen. And I, you know, I just got so, done reading both of his books because my daughter's due in a few weeks, and I used to work. Which we'll have to we'll have to save this for another call. But uh, that's where I got into all of this. That's how I realized that that nature can heal us. Is I used to work out at a park, and my job was basically being in the forest eight hours a day, forty hours a week on a four wheeler with a chainsaw removing invasive species and restoring natural habitat my stress response was amazing and then you know i'd feel it as i drove back into the city that i would feel the stress coming back online so that that's awesome and and all of the long-term listeners to this show they're going to be like wow these guys are tuned in because i have not told you that but yet you come back to my almost number one philosophy of healing which is nature so that's yeah that's awesome i'm so happy well, you know, I, um, about four years ago, I moved my family from Southern California. We were down in just north of San Diego. We moved to Bend, Oregon because of just that. I, I got tired of being living in concrete and strip malls, and I didn't want my kids to grow up in that environment. And, you know, growing up in San Diego, when I grew up there, there was a lot of open space. There was a lot of open areas to go explore. Well, you know, it's still a wonderful city, but it's much different now. So we moved to Bend, Oregon, so we could be, we have access to the outdoors, whether it's hiking, rivers and lakes and skiing. It was, it's not that we're in it every day and I wish I could be, but we have immediate access to it. Very, very close. And it's absolutely critical. It's, it's healing just like you, um, I saw the need for, for my kids. I saw the need for myself. So I, I realize not everybody has that ability to live in some of these areas, but they still can get out. They still have spaces that they can get into that can feed that part of their soul. I think it's tremendous. Absolutely. Well, now everyone's going to move to Bend, so then we're going to have to cut all the trees down to make room for them. <laughs> yeah, I probably, shouldn't have said, I probably shouldn't have announced that. Uh, i'm just kidding well thank you for your time i really appreciate it and thanks for all the work that you're doing where can people keep up with you check out some of the the programs the lectures all of that stuff yeah a couple places the i do uh, monthly webinars these are free webinars through great plains laboratory so then go to greatplainslaboratory.com and there's a wide variety of topics we talk about they can just go into their webinar library also, I have a Facebook. We have uh, an academy that we started last year called Integrative Medicine Academy. And we've now run, we're in the midst of a, a course right now, but we've run what's called an autism mastery course. This is a course for health practitioners and parents too, but the material is designed for health pr- uh, practitioners. And that's actually starting up in a couple of weeks. 
Uh, but we've run that twice. And then we had a course called GI Mastery, which was all about the GI issues we talked about. And then we're in the middle of an adrenal mastery course right now. So we do have a Facebook page. Then go to Integrative Medicine Academy on Facebook. Just hit like. I post articles. I share articles. I post videos. And then you can also just you can find me on Facebook as well, Kurt and Wohler, D.O. That's my personal doctor page. So those are three ways to keep up with things that I create. Awesome. Well, Dr. Kurt, thanks so much for your time, and uh, I'll definitely have you back on soon. Sounds good, Evan. Thanks so much. Take care. All right, take care. Bye-bye. I knew this guy was awesome. I'm so glad we had this conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. He'll definitely be back on the show. Dr. Kurt's been instrumental in helping me to get up to speed and condensing his 25 years of knowledge into one hour. So very grateful to have Dr. Kurt in my toolbox, and I love talking with him. You know, outside of the podcast, you know, I talk with him about labs. Anytime I, anytime I see labs that just don't make sense based on the symptoms, things like that, you know, he's always there to help me dive a little bit deeper and really complete that full picture. So if you would like to schedule a 15-minute free call with myself, discuss your health symptoms, your health goals, talk about some of your lab testing options, then you can reach out back at the website, not just paleo.com. So you can do that on your phone, your tablet, whatever. You know how to use the internet by now if you've reached this show. And I appreciate your support and just your listenership. It's great to have you here on the other end of the microphone. So I'm going to go hang out with my baby. But in the meantime, take care of yourselves, and I look forward to talking with you next week. All right, bye-bye. He acts like it's all good, yeah, like everything's cool. Kiss her, girl, good night, and then he sees her. She doesn't have a clue that he's terrible rules. Why I'm in the tire, got to watch out, girl. Don't want to see her cry her eyes out, girl. Because I've been watching, you've been hurting. Let me be the one 